Hey everyone, welcome to episode 24 of Death Space Filling the Void. Coming off a big weekend, you know? Jamie and I did all the Christmas decorating, outdoor lights, indoor lights, there are snowmen, snow people, our stairs are wrapped in lights. It's a great setup. <laughs> we also went to cut down our own tree, a place here in Charleston that was a Christmas tree farm. I cut about 30% of it down with a handsaw. <laughs> and my hands are absolutely torn to shreds. Just from the handsaw like smacking against the trunk. Until some some guy that worked there came over with a chainsaw and did it in, in 13 seconds. Or even less than that. It was extremely welcome. You know, uh, you go in there for a nice afternoon, you're you're looking for some cocoa, you're trying to pick out your tree and cut it down. It's hard to cut down a tree with a handsaw. (laughs) So yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, it's it's Jamie and my first time uh, being in a house after living in apartments for, for many years. So we were able to go a little bit bigger than we normally would. Definitely overestimated the size of our ceilings. Had to do a bit of trimming at home. And I didn't have enough lights for outside. Had to go to the store, Home Depot, Lowe's, you name it. That stuff gets expensive pretty quickly. (laughs) Even for like a couple extension cords or or an outdoor timer. So you don't have to schlep out there to uh, turn off the lights at night. It adds up. But it's all fun. Don't think for one second that I hate Christmas. Because I don't. Well, I've got a great interview today. I spoke with David Richman, who is the author of Cycle of Lives. Basically, oh, well, I'll let David tell his story. But Cycle of Lives is David interviewed a bunch of people who are going through different stages and, and types of, of cancer. And talked to them about their experience and what they wanted other people to know. How they were handling their experience both mentally and physically, and kind of what they wanted from people in their support system. I think there's a lot of insight in this interview in terms of how best to hold space for people and what we can do to, to be better at that. And if you're listening to this podcast, I'm, I'm assuming that's that's one of your goals. So help is on the way here. But before we get to that interview, I just want to remind you to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. And then check the show out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. All right, let's head on over to David. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Joining me now on the podcast is author of Cycle of Lives, Mr. David Richmond. David, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, Patrick, I'm excited to be here with you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, for people not in this interview, we've had uh, quite a few technical issues but it seems like we, we got it on track here now, which is great. David, why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourself and, and why you wanted to write this book? Well, there's an open-ended question. I might just take 30 minutes to answer. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so I, uh, let's see, where am I? I? I had a background in finance. So I did many things in my life prior to that. And gosh, I don't know, at one point in my life, I guess it was in my late 30s, I was kind of in a pretty low point in my life. I had 
very stressful situation at work and at home, both uh, won't get into the details, but t- terribly stressful at home, especially had uh, four-year-old twins and we need, I needed to get them out of there. And I was overweight. I was a smoker. I was feeling the weight of kind of having lived my life, maybe for uh, pleasing others or to live up to others' expectations rather than my own. And I was kind of trying to become aware of that issue at, during you know all this turmoil. And then right there at that moment in time, I get a call from my sister saying, hey, bro, I got the terminal brain cancer and, and it's, it's not going to be good. Oh, my goodness. And, I mean, yeah. is that ever a good time to get that call? But no. when you're personally at a low, yeah. what is that moment like to, to suddenly be dealt this tougher card? Yeah, well, for me, it was like a moment of clarity, right? Because it it was like, holy cow, man. Yeah, you got to definitely start living life on purpose because, and it wasn't like within 10 seconds, I figured it out. But, but at that time, I I just, I, I, I kind of just said, you know, oh my gosh, you know, here she is great marriage, great career, two young kids, you know, very vibrant, living her best life. And that's going to be taken away. And here I am not living my best life. And I, I got all the time in the world, at least compared to her. So what the heck am I doing? And I decided to embark on a, on a journey of kind of transforming myself and becoming healthy. I, I stopped smoking right away. I, I started becoming athletic. I started doing little runs here and there and then a bike ride. And then all of a sudden I started doing marathons and Ironmans and 50 mile runs and hundred mile runs and just all this crazy nonsense, like long distance endurance athletics. and that was kind of in parallel to June's journey, mine towards a more vibrant life, hers towards what was ultimately a very untimely death. And kind of when I was at the peak of my understanding of, of being more self-aware and living life on purpose and and trying to make a, a meaningful difference in, in my life rather than just kind of reacting to life, you know, she had passed and I was doing all these events, Patrick, to raise money for the cancer center that took care of her and maybe keep her memory alive. And I'd already written a couple of books and I wanted to to embark on a new project. And when I was doing all of those events, I noticed that people were really good about talking about the tasks around their illness. Um, How do I get a PET scan? How do I get back and forth to chemo? How do I navigate work? How do I get my kids taken care of? Um, How can I eat healthier? You know, what do I got to do to get more sleep? Like these kind of things. They were definitely not equipped to deal with the emotional side of the, of the trauma, especially when it came to heavy issues Mm -hmm. such as survivorship or maybe perhaps impending death or fear of recurrence or some of these like really major issues, abandonment, being isolated. They, they just weren't Almost like those, those tasks of like, you got to get here to get that treatment helps put blinders on to like yeah. the larger trauma. Yeah. Which it, it gives you something to focus on. Right. Absolutely. And also people tend to abandon those that are going through cancer. I mean, heck, it wasn't even that long ago that if you said the word cancer, that meant that you might get it. You know, I mean, it's really shrouded in mystery and there's a lot of stigma around it. And there's a lot of self-isolation, a lot of abandonment that's accompanying with it. And there's just a host of emotions that go with it. And I noticed that people just weren't equipped to deal with those emotions. And if they had dealt with them, Patrick, they weren't really 
there wasn't a common theme of that they were able to talk to others about them, even the people closest to them. And this was a, not a kind of a one-off thing. It wasn't, it was literally everybody that I ran into caregivers, doctors, nurses, professionals, survivors, loved ones, previvor, every, you name it. Everybody had that kind of same thing. Like, Oh my God, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to let them talk to me. And I said, well, maybe I can embark on a project that might help shed a little bit of light on that issue. And so that led to the Cycle of Lives project. Incredible. Yeah. Going back to the phone call that, or, or the diagnosis that your sister June had received, was it, was she given a year? Was she given, or, or was she given like a X amount percentage? I don't remember exactly that number, but I, I, those numbers, but I do know that there was in almost every conversation with her, a a modicum of optimism that she's going to fight and she's going to hope and she's going to want. And then also the realization that she's, she's pushing a boulder uphill. I mean, there was just no way that she was going to survive now because her, her cancer was very rare, is very advanced and there's just, there was no way to stop it. But what the cancer center that took care of her did do is made a board study out of her because of the rarity of her specific cancer and that probably extended her life a bit. And if not, at least increased the, the level of care that she received, where I said, oh my gosh, she's going to die right away. She did survive, you know, maybe three and a half, four years. I mean, the last, the last several months, I don't know if I count as surviving more than just like not letting go. But yeah, she lasted about a good three or four years, which I try to look at the silver lining of things. If anything, at least that gave her three or four more years with her husband and kids, mm-hmm. and friends, and could talk through a lot of, she was very good at talking. Not a lot of people are about these kind of issues, but she had a couple of very close friends and her, her family and, and, and me, we, we were able to talk a lot and kind of settle a lot of these, these emotional turmoil issues. And so that was maybe a silver lining to what was eventually not going to be a good situation. Got it. When she got that diagnosis, did you, was there a change? I mean, you went through this massive change to that. Mm-hmm. Did her terminal cancer change how she lived while she still had time that she still felt good, right? How did she react to that? Did she change, make any life changes? Yeah, that's a really great question. And she was not unhealthy. She was not an unhealthy person. She wasn't like super athletic and whatever, but she's very, you know, just living, living a great life, you know, working every day, taking care of her kids, going on camping vacations and, you know, doing all the stuff that families do, but she didn't, what she did do. So she didn't really change anything because I I don't think that she was going to try to pull the wool over her own eyes that she could uh, beat cancer by eating a paleo diet or something, you know, it just, that just wasn't in the cards for her. What she did do, though, Patrick, what she did, I think, as uh, took a purposeful and direct approach to the relationships that she had. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't going to be a, a downer to everybody. She didn't uh, walk around looking for people's sympathy. She didn't feel like a victim. She, she didn't have a lot of shame. She maybe was a little guilty about leaving her husband and kids behind, but she, she knew that that was not in her control. Sure. I think what she did 
what she didn't do to change her lifestyle, I think she did to grab onto every moment she could to make those deeper, more meaningful connections with the people around her, which is, I mean, it's very fortunate she was able to do that. Right, absolutely. And it always makes me think, it's like, I wish we all could just do that, right? Mm -hmm. We could all just savor the moment a bit more and just enjoy ourselves and enjoy our relationships before such things happen. Yeah. But there's a lot to keep us distracted. Yeah. One of the lessons I learned in doing this book, so the book I talked to more than, but 15 people ended up in the in the book. And, and there were 15 people that were a variety of caregivers, doctors, patients, survivors, loved ones, people going through cancer, people that had gone through cancer, young, old, all different kinds of cancer, all different severities of cancer. And then in relation to all the traumas that they had been through in their life and how those traumas affected that emotional journey. And one of the people in the book, Maggie, she, her, her, she had taken care of multiple people in her life that had all but one had died of cancer. The other one died of a gunshot from an argument with a tenant of his. But she had she had run into all these people, family members, whatever, that she was the primary caregiver for. And one time her mom was sick, really sick with cancer. And she had remembered a, something that her mom had told her when she was young. And that was that don't complain ever that you have to take care of somebody that's sick. Don't ever back away from leaning into somebody who's going through something difficult because that might be the only time you ever get with them, right? Once they're gone, you don't get the time to care for them. So you might as well do the hard, dirty work now because that's, that might be the only time you get. And that person needs you, right? I mean, there's a, especially when you think of things like cancer or Alzheimer's, there's a loss of dignity that comes with these diseases that you as a caregiver can really help them maintain as much as they can. And, and I mean, what a gift you can give somebody. That's totally great. I don't, I don't often talk about that side of it. I, I do remember one of the other book participants, Dominic, he had had a bone marrow transplant when he was young and then cancer had come back. He had no chance to survive. It came back. And the second time that it came back, he had another bone marrow transplant. It's like 10, 12 years later. And he had told me that he reached his breaking point. He goes, I, I, I am tired of bedpans and people poking me and prodding me and baiting me. And he goes, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be there for anybody else to touch me, take care of me, poke me, prod me. It's just so humiliating and disempowering. And he goes, it's just like the cancer was one thing, but just that not having any ability to care for myself was just something else. And, and I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a shame what people have to go through and, and going through that while their friends, family, loved ones are having a difficult time trying to, or maybe are even totally unable to try to reach out to them mm-hmm. because they just don't have the tools to do it. That is a recurring theme, man. Imagine going through all of these things. And then all of a sudden you got to sit there and wonder, gosh, why did my best friend ha- haven't heard from him in six weeks? Or why won't my father talk to me about these, these heavy things, but he just doesn't have the capacity or whatever is going on. It's just like a whole nother facet of it. And I'm just a normal guy, right? I can't do anything to solve the one issue. But on the other issue, I, I just I just thought, and luckily I've been able to, to feel like it's made a little bit of an impact. I just thought that if we could get 
into the heads of these people to understand what they're going through, what they had gone through, then it might give us as readers a chance to relate better to that, that emotional human experience so that when we are going through things or when we have friends or family or loved ones or whatever that are going through things that it might touch like this, this, this sensor in our head that goes, Oh, maybe I should try this. Or maybe I should do that because this is what they are going through or maybe have gone through or might be going through. And, and so that's kind of been the joy of the, of the project is to know that I, you know, I got, I got nothing to do on the first side, but on this part of it, I, I think these stories can really touch people and give them a new perspective on how to overcome that, that hesitancy to connect on the emotional level. Of course. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful and wonderful. You know, there's, we learn about history and, and math and science in school, but we don't learn about what happens when a close person either passes or is going through something such as cancer. And, and so there is a, a lot of people feel at a complete loss. And so that's, that's great that you're helping fill that void. Yeah. And look, you talk to people that are professionals, right? You talk to people that are professionals and, and they, uh, I, I've heard you ask them questions about how do you talk about these heavy subjects? And it's like, well, as a professional, I kind of understand it. That's their job. But I mean, I can't tell you how many times I can think back to really difficult things that I heard from somebody. And my immediate reaction was like, oh, I'm sorry. And then hope that we're one of us can walk away. So I can't, so we don't have to talk about it. Right. Yeah. How many times did somebody tell me something that was really, really difficult where I kind of wanted to exit the room rather than lean in? Yeah. And I, because I just didn't understand. And we're, like you said, we, we are taught a lot, but we're not taught the language of emotion and we're not taught the language of how to connect in an authentic way with people. And certainly in today's world where it's all about me and a, the, the right look on your face as you're posting to Instagram or something. You know, the connections by default are just flashing. They're just not deep and real and authentic and, and heart centered. And it's easy to not do that. And so, yeah, it's harder to do it the more in depth way because you're vulnerable, you're exposing your mm -hmm. true self to somebody else. And, and that's scary. That's totally scary because especially if Patrick, you had been abandoned as a child, or especially if you had suffered physical abuse um, as a young adult or whatever, I could give you a million examples, but if you have this kind of traumatic and who doesn't have traumatic periods in their time that kind of strips away our, our ability to believe there's a safety net there when we're talking to people, how are you then going to strike up the nerve to rely on somebody or to reach out to somebody when you've had that kind of safety net removed. And so it's, it, it's totally understandable from both sides. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, I know just from talking to so many people that there are both sides of it. One is it's easy for me to self-isolate because I, I feel guilty. I feel shameful. I I'm angry. I, I don't want to bring others down. I, I, I don't believe that they'll be there. I've lost trust. And then on the other side, it's like, oh, well, I don't want to impose. I don't want to bring them down because I'm having a good a, a good life and they're not. And there's a lot of reasons why we can say, yeah, it's easier to better not deal with it. It's just easier to not deal with those things. You know, I'd rather bring somebody a casserole than to walk into their house and sit down and cry with them. And I just understand I'm not diminishing 
how great it is that you would take the time to bring somebody a casserole. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that's not welcome, but I know that just being there, showing people that you care and giving them a safe space to be able to talk or to not talk, but just being there in an authentic way and forming these deeper connections, I think is in the end, what we all really want to do. Absolutely. If you're listening to this podcast, one of the reasons may be because you're interested in having your death or a loved one's death be celebrated in, in a different way to, to think outside the box a little bit. I, I personally really like the idea of that. And that's why I'm partnering with a company called Spirit Vessel, who creates these guided personalized ceremonies for yourself or, or a loved one. Well, just to give you a little bit of background, Spirit Vessel is a sister-owned company that is bringing sacred ceremonies around death back into the home in a beautiful and meaningful way. I love it. I love the idea of of making it more personal. And I've experienced wakes and funerals that it felt so cold and, and wish that I could inject a little bit more personality and, and more storytelling to help the grieving process. Spirit Vessel has these handcrafted ceramic urns and personalized celebration of life ceremony packages that can be done in the comfort of your home or through webcasting services. Whether you're grieving the loss of a loved one, preparing for an imminent death, or taking steps to plan for your own death, Spirit Vessel provides resources to help you respond from your heart with creativity and courage. So basically you can design your own creative and and personalized intimate ceremony that represents the person who you're celebrating. And there's also tips to help people who are grieving going forward. So whether you're interested in the celebration of life ceremony packages, or you'd like to check out or order one of their handcrafted ceramic urns, which are so cool, by the way, check out Spirit Vessel. And if you do order anything, feel free to use the promo code DEATHSPACE for free shipping. If you're like me, it can be really hard to come up with the words to say in a card. I know, I always laugh too, because talk about 10 years of improv training down the drain. <laughs> Not being able to come up with anything. But especially, that's especially, but that's especially, but that's especially so. I don't know why I can say especially. There you go. Perfect. I can say it. <laughs> During times of grief or when someone loses someone. But thankfully, there's the Cardist Studio. There are no words to comfort in a time of deep loss. But you send a card because you care. Yeah, because as we've learned through this podcast, sending something, saying anything is better than saying nothing. The Cardist Studio creates your message, writes it in your card, and mails it for you. See? They'll help you out. You have the intention. The Cardist has the words. Bing, bang, boom. All you do is pick the card and tell why you're sending it. No anxiety. All care. For a message from your heart, but not your hands. Just sit back and enjoy your relationships. You know, you don't want to have that awkward feeling like, ah, was that too much? Did I say too much? Am I talking too much? As I'm literally talking too much? As opposed to figuratively talking too much, Pat. All right. <laughs> My inner voice is kind of mean to me. The Cardiststudio.com, thoughtful, just got easy. And better yet, you can use the promo code DEATHPOD, one word, for 10% off all orders. You ever lie in your resume? Huh? Look at me. Look at me when you're lying. No, you should never do that. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> but it can be daunting to, to look at a, a job listing, see everything that you have and, and things that you probably don't have. But we can fix that with my software tutor. 
My Software Tutor offers three levels of real-time Zoom-based courses with a live instructor. So I'm going to keep you on task. They've seen it. They've heard it. They've seen the resumes. They know the holes. But they're here to help. They all deliver practical, functional business skills in a friendly and supportive environment. It'd be funny if it really wasn't a supportive environment. Like, when are you going to understand this? <laughs> of course, that's not the case. That's just the anxiety or, or, or reliving fear dreams we had as children. These courses will increase your marketability. The job market couldn't be better right now. So it's a perfect time to invest in yourself and, and improve that resume. Whether you're an employee, job seeker, consultant, or contractor, you can sign up for these classes at mysoftwaretutor.com and use the promo code POD20 to save 20% off all registrations. Would you look at that? All right. Enjoy that new job. Through your work on the book, did you see any trends or, or ways that people who are on the sidelines want to do something for a friend or relative but aren't sure what to do do you you have any idea of of what you could say to someone like that 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 could help them out yeah it's not really i mean it's a simple answer you know to a really good question patrick but it's not really a, a a a short answer it's it's not it's not linear because What I did with the book is I said this, I said, if we took all of those things I mentioned earlier, different types of cancer, different ages, different perspectives, different emotions, but we put that in relation to the traumas that people had experienced. Mm. In other words, if you had a wonderful childhood and life was perfect and, and somebody asked you, Hey, Patrick, you're going through something difficult. How can I help you? And you said to them, no, really, I'm fine then I might feel relief that you didn't ask me to do something, or I might feel like, gosh, you know, he doesn't want to let me in or whatever, but it's not like that bad on either side. Maybe, maybe there's little issues that are preventing it. But what if, for example, you had gone through like serious traumatic issues, right? Mm-hmm. Such as the suicide of a parent or something, mm-hmm. and they were afraid of abandonment, right? Their whole lives. And all of a sudden, they need the help and you're asking to give them help, but there's no way they're going to trust you because of what they've gone through. And so they're not going to ask you for the help that they might need. And, and so you walk away going, Oh, okay, well, whatever, they're fine. They don't need the help. So you ask this question of what can we do? Well, in, in the one instance, you ask somebody and they're fine and it's okay. They turn down the offer of help and there's no other, underlying issues and the other person you ask hey what can i do for you and they say i'm fine but there's a ton of underlying issues right and so i think that the answer becomes i think the common theme is to figure out a way to get another level deeper to open to ask more open-ended questions to give a safe space for people to talk about the issues that might behind be behind them because for example example I like to give is imagine if you were to ask somebody like, Hey, what can I do for you? And they say, no, I'm fine. Okay. Now maybe that's the truth, right? Maybe they're fine. Maybe they don't want any help. Maybe they don't need any help and everything's good. And there's nothing underlying behind that. And so you might come back to them a different way or different time to offer some help or some connectivity. But what if the same answer is no, I'm fine. I don't, I don't want any help, but really that's because they were abandoned as a child or 
there was some super traumatic event in their life that forces them to not allow themselves to rely on anybody. So even though they might desperately want help and desperately be needing your attention and your connection, maybe they don't have it in them to be able to take that step to ask for it or accept your help. And I think that we don't often give people a space to know, to get, to let us know that those things are going on. Your, your so, point is so beautiful and so important and something I hadn't even considered that we're, we're not giving people this, this space to let us know what they need, especially if they have significant trauma in their past. Right. Look, can I give you an example, uh, Patrick, of Please. something happened to me in my business life? So around 2009 ish right during the height of the financial crisis okay i was managing a very large office for a wall street firm i had you know maybe a couple hundred employees 100 million dollar pnl it was a big big business with a lot of people and i'd been in that position i'd been with that company for a long time but i'd been in that position for four or five years i'd gone to weddings i'd gone to funerals i'd had people over at my house i'd gone on vacations right i mean so I was just super connected to a majority of the people I worked with, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the guys that I worked with was having a really difficult time. It was really tragic and sad. He had a wife and young kids and just found himself at the wrong end of a couple of decisions and circumstances, and he decided to jump off the building. And it was unbelievably traumatic. Oh my God. And I happened to so be in sorry. New York at the, yeah, that was terrible. Oh. And I happened to be in New York at the time. I flew back to my office in Southern California. And I, and I knew that I couldn't get a trauma specialist there quick enough. So I walked around and I started to talk to people. And these were people I had known for years, right? And very at a deeply personal level. Every single office I went into, Patrick, every single one, I go, hey, how you doing, man, whatever. Every single person recanted a story of first person experience with suicide oh, and wow. how how, how this guy's jumping off the building had affected them so deeply because when they were a kid, this and that happened as a young adult, this and that happened as an adult, this or that happened. And I'm sitting there going, man, all these people that I've known so well, I had no idea that they had had such a traumatic experience. First person was suicide. I literally everybody, Pat, it was shocking to me. And, and of course I had as well, I, I was a kid, uh, my next door neighbor decided to shoot himself in front of his kids on Christmas day. Right. Oh my and it just brought up these horrible memories of, of how that affected me a little bit. And I thought to myself, Oh my God, the traumas that people go through, we just have no idea. And I'm not saying that we need to wear all of our traumas on our sleeve and everybody should walk around going, poor me, poor me, look at all the trauma, but we need to be sensitive to the fact that if we want to form deeper connections is that there people are carrying things around that are really heavy sometimes. And mm -hmm. that affects their ability to navigate emotional issues sometimes, especially around things like cancer and maybe the, the you know potential for death or our, visiting our own mortality and these kind of issues. And so if in the end, Patrick, if we are trying to form these more meaningful, deep connections, then if we can just remember that there's more, there's, there's more that we can uncover. There's darker tunnels that we need to go through with people and shine a little bit of light on them so that we can allow them a safe space to talk about these issues and form these deeper connections. Cause I really believe Patrick in the end, that's what, that's what we all want to do. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so impressed. Have you always found yourself to have this ability to have conversations like this with people? Because you've, you know, you wrote this book, you're, you're describing another time and, and you're very at ease with it during this conversation. So has that something, where does that come from? Uh, I don't know. I, I think that I'm very, I'm very much driven by the idea, Patrick, that we are all connected by story. I mean, from the beginning of human time, right? That, that's the one thing that we've passed on is story, right? We, 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 we told stories by a campfire probably before that we, we didn't have fire and we still were telling stories. So I think we're all connected by stories and I think we're connected by emotion. And any story that doesn't have emotion pretty much isn't going to remembered, be remembered. And anybody that we care about, it's all about emotion and, and their story. And, and I'll tell you, one of the two parallel themes was that everybody's story is unbelievably interesting. Yeah. Very evocative, very amazing. And if you give people the opportunity to really tell you some of the significant times and significant issues in their lives, you're just going to be fascinated by every single person you talk to. So I guess I've always been that way. Mm -hmm. And we don't always have the time, make the time, take the time to form these deep connections with people. But I definitely feel like those are the highlights of my life are when I've been able to do that. And that's kind of one of the things that drives me. I completely agree. I mean, I created this podcast because I, I, I'm of the same belief that you just have to give people the space to tell you their story because innately humans are interesting and, and they always have something else going on. And so I, I completely, I completely agree. Yeah. And Patrick, if, if you have the opportunity and we don't always want this opportunity, but if you had the opportunity to be at the end of your life and, look back and talk to somebody about what's going through your head. I think there's only two main themes that we have. And that is one is the joy we feel over the connections that we've made with others and the regrets we have over the connections we didn't make with others. And that I, I, that's at the heart. I think that's the heart of who we are as human beings and what we're all striving for or what we all regret. Should we not have striven for a fulfillment in our lives and and I think that, you know, in the end, that's, that's what it all comes down to. So why not purposefully try to experience more of that joy and why not purposefully try to reduce that amount of regret and form these deeper connections with the people that are in our lives? Because once we're gone, once they're gone, that's it, baby. You don't get another chance. Right. The only thing that matters are, are the people in your life. I mean, just to put it as simply as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know you ended up speaking with more than 15, but how did you find the 15 and what was it like breaking the ice? I'm assuming some, if not all, were strangers. Most were. Uh, there was only one or two that weren't strangers. And I, I cold called hospitals, cancer centers. I asked friends. I, I, I asked friends of friends. I, I just tried by any way to find a, a great, good mix of people. And if you can imagine a wheel right? And each, each little, and divide it up into a hundred sections, say that wheel being what I would consider as full of a, of a representation of the human experience as possible in those little hundreds of sections, I needed different ages, different types of cancer, different emotions, different perspectives, like caregiver, patient, survivor. 
So I needed that, but I also needed a representation of the traumas that we all experience, you know, abandonment, suicide, drug addiction, making a bad choice in life, being dealt bad cards in life, whatever, all of those different traumas that we can all kind of identify with. So I was just on search for as many people that had evocative, firing, moving stories that would fill in those different sections of the human experience wheel as it is. And so... That's how I found them all. How I talked to them was I just made sure that they were understanding what my goal was mm. and that if, I, if, if they did believe that that was a worthy goal and they bought into it, then I, I started it by saying this, Patrick. I said, look, I'm going to ask you questions that nobody's asked you before. I'm going to talk to you about things that nobody's asked you to talk about before, perhaps, and we got to have no boundaries. And if, if we have boundaries that are preventing us from getting to the root of the issue and, and, and when the root of your experience, because I want the reader to believe that they know you because they do, right? They, they might not be you. It might be somebody like you in their lives, but they, they, they know you, but they have to really, really know you. And in order to really know you, we got to get super deep. So I just said, if you're able to do that, well, let's try to get there together. And some people weren't, and maybe it was because I wasn't able to bond with them or whatever, but some people weren't able to go as deep as we needed to, either by their doing or by my mind, maybe we just didn't have the kismet or whatever, but some were, and the ones that were able to go as deep as we needed to go and as personal and, and as raw as we needed to go, I went because it was, it was important, Patrick, for me to bring true, authentic, real, not fictioned up stories to, to, to these people's lives. Cause I, I know that, that the reader, the reader can read through that BS, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, not every story is, is negative. They're, they're not pessimistic. They're, they're sometimes they're very tough, but what I wanted to do was I didn't want to be prescriptive. I didn't want to be preachy. I didn't want to say, Hey, do this or Hey, do that. Or I didn't want to elicit sympathy from the reader. I wanted the reader to go, Oh my gosh, I can learn something from that. I feel for that person. And, and I think I know people like that. And, mm -hmm. and, and maybe this will, will, will give me a little bit of insight in how to better deal with people. And so uh, that's what I think we accomplished by going like crazy deep with people. Yeah, that's such, I mean, that's the goal, especially mm -hmm. since you and I, during this conversation have set the, you were mentioning looking back on your life from your deathbed, the biggest, most important thing are, are your relationships. And so mm -hmm. using things like your book and hopefully this podcast, people can develop the tools that they need to help enrich their lives with those relationships and, and to be there for people going through significant issues because I I've heard of people who live with a deep amount of regret when they weren't there for somebody who was going through somebody when they missed a chance to yep. reach out. And, and that sound that, that, that to me is so heartbreaking and, it, and it's downright, it's frightening that they have to live with that. Yeah. But it's easy to understand, right? Oh, because it is definitely. Because, you know, they don't, they don't know how to reach out for help. We don't know how to reach out to give them help. If there's a little bit of a, a hesitancy, 
we try to turn away. Like if somebody's giving you sympathy and you don't want to, you don't want their sympathy, then you're just going to want to not talk to them mm-hmm. unless you have a deep enough connection that you can look at them and go, dude, stop giving me puppy dog eyes. I don't need your sympathy. If you want to connect with me, do it a different way because that sympathy thing makes me feel bad. And I don't think it's authentic anyway, or whatever the heck is going on. Right. But how hard is it to have that conversation? Right? Very difficult. Yeah, very difficult because, you know, I don't want to impose. I don't want to make people feel guilty. I don't want to I don't want to seem like, you know, like a jerk. I I give you a million reasons. But the truth of the matter is, Patrick, most people, they they want to be connected with at a deep level. They want to know that people care. They want it. They want to have authentic relationships with the people that are in their lives. They, They want to be respected. They want, they want to be respectful, right? And they, they want to form these deep connections. So how, how can we do that? And that's, that's, it's such a common thing. That's like such an easy thing to wrap your brain around, but such a hard thing to do. So, so unbelievably hard. Right. How much self-help and, and other, and, and therapist time is spent, you know, across the globe to, to try to accomplish that goal. It's, it's so plain. Oh, how many but... people don't even bother to go to therapy? Yeah. Like that, right? <laughs> Great point. Yeah. Yeah. Where does the title cycle of lives come from? Well, I just figured kind of a, a, a play on a number of different themes, right? A cycle of lives is, is like uh, the cycle of our lives is from life to death. And that's a cycle the emotions that we have is kind of a, a wheel of emotion, right? Like uh, there's some famous uh, researchers who have t- talked about the wheel of emotions uh, going through the ups and downs of trauma cycle. I just thought cycle of lives worked. And then one of the things I wanted to do to connect people, Patrick, is that I felt like these stories individually were great. But one way I could connect the stories was to get on my bike and cycle solo to each one of the participants or as many as I could during a 4,700 mile bike ride and kind of connect the stories through that bike ride. So that was another play on cycle, right? Cycle of lives. So that's where it came from. Man, when is that going to be made into a movie? Ah, (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) It It should. It has everything you need. It'd be a heck of a good one. And, and, and I'll tell you, out of the 15 stories, you could make uh, four or five of them the centerpiece of any four or five of them the centerpiece of it. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be pretty fascinating. And the amazing people I met along the way and some of the nonsense that occurred on a bike ride, because I, I did 4,700 miles in 45 days. So you can imagine how many hours. It's 120 miles a day. I was eight to 17 hours a day on the bike, 41 out of 45 days. So there was a lot of nonsense that went on. Wow. What was it like meeting the people from the book for the first time face-to-face? It was no big deal. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was, it was pretty emotional, right? It was, it was pretty emotional. I think in some sense, it's easy to talk to people that you don't know. And we were talking on the phone. There was no video going on at the time. I, I, I just felt it was a safer place to talk over the phone. And so, you know, there's a whole like still a layer of vulnerability that is avoided 
you, you avoid removing that last layer of vulnerability. But then once you've kind of meet in person and you can hug the person and cry with the person that you spoke to about these just crazy times in their lives, it was quite emotional. So very inspiring, very emotional, but also very nerve wracking, you know, because mm-hmm. how are you going to meet somebody and tell them that you got their story when, I mean, they're way more dimensions than just the the things you've been talking about but meeting them made them made them real people and it was it was really uh it was really moving oh man yeah that i can only imagine just being so nervous about entering their space yeah totally yeah totally. well uh, i want to thank you so much for for hanging in there with me for the listeners an extreme amount of technical difficulties the the most <laughs> of any episode by far and you've been a, an, a, an amazing sport. I don't want to cut you short or, or, or anything, but I, I, I just want to make sure that is there, is there anything I'm missing? Is there anything you think is important to mention about your sister or the book or, or about life? You know, it's really great. Yeah, we could talk and you're, you're a great listener and a great question asker. We could talk for a long time. I would say one thing is if you are interested in the book, I think it will better equip you. And then also one of the great things is that I had each one of the book participants, Patrick, pick a charity, a cancer-focused charity and and other type that they would like the proceeds of the book to go to. So 100% of the proceeds from the book go to support these organizations. I think that's an important thing. And then again, not to be too prescriptive, because I, I think it falls shallow if, if you don't understand all the things behind it. But I would just say that if you're looking to form a deeper connection or looking how to break the ice with somebody that's going through something traumatic, start with asking open-ended questions instead of, are you feeling okay? How are you feeling? Instead of, is there anything I can do for you? It's like, what specifically can I do to help you today? Do you know, like that's the start. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the start, you know, like not, Oh, are you feeling okay? But tell me how you're feeling today. How, how how are you feeling better today than yesterday? And what's the difference? And and why do you think that is like, that'll start, that'll open up that kind of authentic connection. And so again, I don't want to make it seem too simple, but I wanted to say that that's a great place to start. Absolutely. That's, that's great advice. It's also great advice for anyone that wants to start a podcast. Just asking open-ended questions is is very good to allow your, uh, your guests to feel like they have the space to find their answer a little bit, right. As opposed to hold them in a box. So that's great advice for someone in your life that's going through something difficult. Well, thank you again so much. This has been an incredible conversation. I I hope to stay in touch and and maybe we can check in again sometime. David Richmond, author of Cycle of Lives. Thank you so much for coming on Death Space Filling the Void. All right, Patrick, take care of yourself. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Maybe it's because I have a podcast on death and dying and grief and psychology and all that, but it feels like a lot more people are talking about death. That's a great thing. It's such a good thing for society and for people to not brush the the difficult under the under the rug, unless you want to, right? The, like David was saying, there's certain people that, in their time of need, just kind of want to talk about the weather, sports. I was going to say politics, but that's probably. Not, I mean, who wants to talk about politics at this point? <laughs> but you know what I mean. Small talk, and the way you find out whether. Or the way you find out what somebody 
wants is just straight up ask him. And you can use David's technique of asking open-ended questions. Well, yeah, thank you so much to David. Check out Cycle of Lives. It's very good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, what a segue. What a segue. Please feel free to check out my other podcast called That Gives Me Anxiety. In each episode, I pick a different topic. So job interviews, flying, becoming a parent, things like that. And we talk about it, why it's scary, why it causes anxiety. And hopefully by the end, you have a little bit more tools to deal with that thing or learned a bit about your mental health. I don't know if it's coming up, but Ollie's absolutely digging into a toy right now. Good work, pup. Well, as always, thank you so, so much for listening. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you Thursday.